about uh, the people who have influenced you in coming to know about Jesus. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe it's your parents, maybe friends, uh, co-workers, maybe even a stranger. But those who told you about Jesus and who helped you come to that place of realizing, uh, you know, who he is and, and knowing him as your savior. Now I can very quickly come up with a list of people, people who helped me, uh, and took the time to tell me about Jesus. You know, who he is, what his death on the cross meant for my life, how we could be forgiven of our sins, uh, you know, how I could grow to know him better, how I could get direction. Uh, for my life, you know, and direction that I could trust, not not just that. Now think for a minute how these people, uh, you know, took time to tell you about Jesus. Maybe some very specific moments come to mind. As I was thinking about this for myself, I remember sitting at a, at a table in a coffee house, and this was before coffee houses were, you know, a big thing. It was, well, maybe not. It was in the olden days when hippies went to coffee houses. But anyway, I can remember sitting there, and um, Randy Boltima came over to the table, to talk to us, uh, everybody at the table there, and uh, he, you know, it was really first it, just to get to know us, you know, and I'm I'm guessing knowing in Randy that he talked to us about God. Now I don't really remember him talking to us about God at that particular time, and I, but I'm, I'm sure he did. <clears throat> but the thing is, I wasn't really interested in God at that point. So even if he did, I, I wouldn't have paid much attention. I remember my sister coming into a relationship with Christ. Uh, the first one in our family who really came into a relationship with Christ in a real way. And I remember her telling us about it. And uh, uh, if, if, you know, my sister, Mary, she's, uh, she's the one we've been praying for with cancer. But um, you know what Mary's thinking because she tells you. And, um, you know, and so she would very pointedly tell us about Christ. I didn't want to hear it. You know, I just, I just didn't want to hear it. But she kept telling me anyway. And then I remember meeting Pastor Stan Lemon. He was uh, he t- he took a night away from his family and he came to speak uh, to a group of us about the 14 years he spent as a missionary in Vietnam. And he was a missionary in Vietnam 14 during 14 years while the war was going on in Vietnam. And so he was there, you know, as a missionary while some of our soldiers were there, you know, fighting the war. And he is there telling people about Christ. Uh, but what I remember is that he genuinely seemed to care about those people as he was showing us those slides and we were hearing about his interactions with that. And you could just see he was kind of lost in the moment there, you know, and he was living what he was showing us on those slides there and his genuine love for those people. But one of the things that really stuck out to me, too, is that he genuinely seemed to care about me. At that point, I just assumed it was because he was a pastor and that was his job. Uh, but I later came to realize, you know, that there was more to it than that. I remember Henry Koval. He led the first Sunday school class I ever went to because you Protestants were nuts, and I didn't know what in the world you were going to Sunday school class for. Why don't you go to catechism on Wednesday like the rest of us? Uh, but at any rate, uh, you know, I, I remember Henry and his his care and his concern for us. Henry was a uh, an executive with World Book Encyclopedia. That's the olden days when you had to open a book instead of pick up your phone and, and you know, over the computer and go to it. Uh, and Henry was he was just a great great man he was soft he was a, he was a, a gentleman and um you know he had a beard before beards were in style and uh you know, he just was henry was a good guy <clears throat> there was maynard and Ida zilstra they invited people over to their home every week after church they came to church with the full intention and expectation of inviting people home to their to their home afterwards for uh, for a meal 
And uh, Jenny and I and our, well, it was before we had kids, actually. We met them before we had kids. Uh, we were invited over to their home, and uh, they became very, very good friends of ours. Uh, Maynard was um, old enough to be my father, but, you know, still he, you know, he reached out to us. Uh, there was Jim and Dolores Gary. I remember Jim Gary because uh, I knew I m- knew Jim Gary in um, elementary school. He was the first person, and I remember thinking, "You got two first names, dude." And um, you know, I mean, that's what people think about me now, but they're they're wrong. Anyway, uh, you know, I remember Neil Reinhout. Neil Reinhout uh, was uh, uh, more than twice my age. He was close to three times my age at that point. And uh, just a very soft-spoken guy. Uh, in one sense, the opposite of me. Uh, you know, he he was uh, gentle, and he was you know he was he was kind, and uh, just a real great guy. There was Jim and Pearl Cabellus uh, came to our Bible study, and uh, th- that we had started, and this was before I was a Christian even. Uh, but the, the the difference they made in my life, ones who really became friends and there's one that I remember too and I don't know his name is this guy at River Oaks Mall River Oaks Mall was a, was the the mall uh, one of the big malls by us and he was out there witnessing I realize that now I didn't then I thought then that he was out there annoying and I was one of them that he annoyed uh, you know and he came to and, and really I don't know that he, I don't know that this guy said more than one or two sentences to me uh, you know, and wanted to tell me about Jesus. And I remember putting up my hand and putting down my head and just telling him, you know, I'm Catholic. Because in my mind, that's all I needed to say, dude. You know, I, you know, I, I got the answer. But I, I remember that, you know, and all of these people were willing to engage me to some degree about Jesus. All of them were willing to to help me learn more and, and to help me understand more of of who Jesus is. Now, you know who were those people who were willing to help engage you and tell you about Jesus? Maybe they told you a little. Maybe they told you a lot. Who were these people, and what did they tell you? Now, as you're thinking about those people who took time to engage you with the reality about Jesus, think about this: What if they didn't? What if they didn't? What if they didn't take the time to engage you? What if they had kept quiet about Jesus? I will tell you what that means. If they had kept quiet about Jesus, if they weren't willing to engage you about Jesus, then you would be going to hell. That's the reality. Something to think about as we continue studying engaging people. Let's pray. We'll look at our passage. Father, thank you that you prompt people to talk to others about what it means to know Christ, about who he is, that you put people in our lives to help us come to know you and know about you then. Father, teach us from your word as we look to see, Jesus, how you went about doing this, how you touched people and helped them to come to see and know you, how you engaged people. Help us to learn from you, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 8. Turn there, if you will, if you're using a pew Bible, page 891. Uh, This is week number four in our Engage 2.0 series. 
which just means I did it last year, and so this year is the second time, you know, that we're, that we're doing this theme. That's all that means. Uh, you know, we're looking, though, at how Jesus engaged people so we can see how we can and should better engage people with the truth about Jesus. Uh, you know, sometimes the opportunity to engage people comes very naturally and comes along naturally in the course of things. Um, Think about this now. You know, we love to care about our children, and on our children are people that we care about. They're very important to us, so it was very natural for Ginny and I to tell our kids about Jesus because we love them and we care about them. You know, and it just came along very naturally. Sometimes it takes more of an effort to engage people. We aren't always as willing to talk to our coworkers or you know our neighbor or the person in the line at the store with us. You know, we're not always as willing to do that. In this passage here, we're going to see Jesus willing to engage someone that most people were not willing to engage. Verse 1. When he came down from the mountain, that's Jesus, when he came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him. Right away, a man with a serious skin disease came up and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Reaching out his hand, he touched him, saying, I am willing to be made clean. Immediately, his disease was healed. Then Jesus told him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses prescribed as a testimony to them. Now, that's all we're covering this morning. That's all we're going to look at. Uh, Some feel that Matthew's gospel is not always in chronological order, and uh, most likely it isn't. I don't know that any of them are really totally in chronological order, uh, you know, but, but that's okay. We still have to ask ourselves a question, you know, why did God think it was important to guide Matthew to record the events of Jesus' life in the order in which he recorded them? You know, as we look at this passage here, we can't just rip it out, but what, what is it there? So we benefit from looking at the larger context of, of where these verses are placed. Now, chapter 5, 6, and 7 in Matthew, uh, you know, they're the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, uh, something that's that's uh, well known in, in many, many many ways and places and phrases from it even uh, you know but it's a sermon on the mount the sermon on the mount lays out the ethical standards for life in God's kingdom here on earth now not for when not for when we leave this earth but for here on earth now how it is if we're going to live as people of the kingdom how the you know those with a relationship with Jesus those of us who have a relationship with Jesus how it is we should be living now as members of God's kingdom members of God's kingdom meaning that we that he is the, that he is the king that he is the one that we subject ourselves subject submit ourselves to that he is the leader and we are the followers that he is is the, the, the king. There's the, the whole picture of the kingdom. Chapter 7 draws the Sermon on the Mount uh, to a close with, with teaching about this. Uh, you know, and, you know, as you, as you look at chapter 7 and he's going through, he's talking, you know, he begins, he says, you know, about not, not judging. In the very first verse, do not judge so that you won't be judged. Now, what he's talking about there is judging in a condemning way. You do need to judge in a sense of evaluating because you need to evaluate whether somebody knows Jesus or not to be able to, to talk to them. But what he's talking about there is not, not condemning someone. That is not up to us. We do not condemn someone. 
uh, you know, to hell, we, we simply can share with them the reality of Christ. And then he goes on and, and talks about asking, seeking, knocking. You no, know, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. That need to continue to seek God, you know, that is there. And then, and then he goes on about what true salvation is, you know, what it means to enter that kingdom, what it means to have a life that's lived with him. And then he closes that chapter out there, you know, with the, the need to base your living on Jesus and your and your commitment to him. That those two foundations, you know, one on a sand, one on a rock, and those two foundations, what are you going to base your life on? And that's how he does it. Well, then Matthew tells us, as Jesus came down from the mountain, He's just finishing his, these teachings, and, and Matthew tells us then as Jesus came down from the mountain, that large crowds followed him, you know, that they were with him. Those who heard these teachings, now they were with him. At this point in his ministry, Jesus pretty well drew a crowd no matter where he went. We looked a couple of weeks ago, and when he went to his hometown, it says not many believed in him. He didn't really draw a crowd there. It's just he was only able to minister to a few. But here, you know, and at this point in his ministry, wherever he goes, you know, other than Nazareth, his hometown, there was this crowd that was there. Now, many came because they were simply curious because a crowd... I don't know if you... um, one of the things I never thought I'd do is watch golf on TV. I have done it in the past, but I haven't done it lately, except what caught my attention was the news reports when Tiger Woods won another another title uh, because uh, a championship because he hadn't done it in, I don't know, five years or whatever it was. But one of the things they showed was a, a more of an aerial shot with this mass of people. They, they said there were thousands of people that were literally following, you know, along as he, as he went on this. And I thought, oh, that's weird. And I thought, well, I probably would have tried to see this too, you know, because you see a crowd draws a crowd sometimes. So that's, that's why some people were following Jesus simply because, you know, if, if there's, if there's some there, they're curious as to what's going on. Now, some also were truly looking for the Messiah. The Messiah, the fact that the Messiah was going to come was not hidden. That wasn't, that wasn't, you know, secret information. That was something they were looking forward to and some were, were certainly there. Now some also would be coming simply for miracles. They were seeking miracles and that's what we find here with this guy that Jesus encounters there. It says that right away a man with a, a serious skin disease, some of the translations say leprosy, uh, you know, but they, they comes and meets Jesus. Right away, when I saw that phrase, right away, it reminded me of two things. And one is that sometimes people can be pushy and in your face. We don't like those kind of encounters. We don't like those kind of encounters. Pushing in your face. We don't like it when they come to us that way. When that guy at River Oaks Mall was coming to tell me about Jesus, you know, and in my mind he was pushing in my face. In my mind my sister was pushing in my face. I didn't want to hear it. I didn't want to hear it. You know, so that's a warning to us that we need to be careful how we approach people. But it's also a warning, you know, that that fits in with this other part, you know, and that's that opportunities to engage people can come at any time. Because I've also had people who have been pushy and in my face when they wanted something. And they'd come and talk to me, you know, they'd come. I've told you before, you know, I've had, we have we're at church, people come a lot of times, you know, and they're looking for help and their things and what they, what they want. The overwhelming majority of the time, what they want is us to help them on their terms. You know, they want us to help them on their terms. 
give them help. You know, we get we frequently get asked to put people up in a motel. I'm I'm not going to do that. I'll be happy to take you to the mission, you know, and do that. And you know, uh, we'll be happy to do those things. But uh, but, but see, we we have people that, and they want help on their terms. And you know, I mean, I've been cussed out on the porch right there. You know, I'll go ahead and out to the parking lot and you know, told what a lousy Christian I am because I wouldn't give them help their way uh, people can be pushy and you know they can be in your face and it doesn't always come on your schedule it doesn't always come at a convenient time for us even you know it's it's not always you know it's like the phone always ringing at two o'clock in the morning it's just you, you, you know it's not not always a good thing but it can come at any time so you need to be ready you know you need to be ready it's not again always at our convenience you need to trust that god knows what they need and if he has brought them across your path then he has you for somehow to be able to touch them and to be able to meet them to be able to engage them and to be able to tell them about jesus and it's also that trust of knowing that he will guide you to help you to share now this man's disease here isn't it isn't necessarily full-blown leprosy uh, the, the the word that is sometimes translated leprosy in the holman christian standard says a serious skin disease um you know it's not the leprosy our mind always goes to where their fingers were rotting off. now it could be it could be that that much of a degree but it was given, that word was, was given to any skin disease, you know, some of which they could be very devastating and deforming and, and some even fatal. Uh, but the skin disease, any skin disease, you know, from, you know, eczema to psoriasis and all these other things, it would make someone unclean. And it would make someone unclean if they, if they touched this infected person. Now, the word translated, you know, skin disease or leprosy here, it comes from a root word. The root word means to strike. So the reason they, that they were seen as unclean is because they were seen as stricken by God. That's why you have that disease. That's why you have that eruption on your skin, because you are stricken by God in a cursed state. So this meeting here of this man coming to Jesus probably took place outside of town because those, the, the people who had this skin disease, they were instructed to isolate themselves outside of town. That's what they were required to do. They were required to stay a minimum of six feet away from others and they could have to be as far away as a football field from other people if the, if the other people were downwind of them. It was their responsibility then to separate themselves so they would not infect these other people. They were required to yell out, unclean, unclean, whenever there would be other people around so that the others would be warned that they needed to they needed to keep their distance here from these people. Now, this man's exchange with Jesus shows us that he had some degree of confidence in Jesus' ability to heal him. Notice what you know as he's talking to him. He says, "I know that you can do this." As he says to Jesus, but it also seemed perhaps that he had some doubt about Jesus' desire or willingness to heal him, or compassion to heal him. He says, I, I know you can do it if, if you wanted to, the guy says. We still run across that today. People, you know, people question Jesus' willingness to help, or they even doubt his willingness is concerned because of their circumstances. 
and their circumstances and cause them to begin to doubt God and to doubt Jesus' love and care and concern. They judge Jesus by their personal circumstances. And if their situation is unresolved, according to how they think it should be resolved, then they feel God doesn't care. Now, oftentimes, the problem they're facing is a result of their own of their own choices, a consequence of their choices. You abuse you abuse drugs. You can have some lasting consequences from that. We had friends back in Riverdale who um, I told you about uh, Danny before. Um, he was he Danny abused heroin and um, got in a motorcycle accident, and it destroyed all of the muscles, tendons, whatever in his one arm. Danny became a good, solid Christian, but he still had to, every time he wanted to do something, he had a brace on his arm, and he had to pick his arm up and lock it in place and then release it. Danny, last 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 we talked with him and stuff, he was a, a deacon in his church, and just really that arm was still non-functioning. You see, sometimes we have, there's, there are those consequences to some of our choices and some of our life choices. And sometimes people can get angry with God because of the consequences of their own life choices. Now, for this man, that is not the problem. This man had some serious skin disease. It seems that that's probably not a result of what he did. I mean, it certainly could be, but it probably leans the other way. Now, this man wanted to be made clean. To be made clean, that's more than simply being healed. What he's asking for is to be made clean, including the ceremonial readiness, along with the reintroduction into society, not having to live outside of the society on the outskirts of town, but being able to come back into society, being able to take place in temple life again, and being able to gather together, and this is what he this is what he's asking for. Now, this man says, "If you are willing to the one who is willing to die for his sins, I think we forget this sometimes when we when we think God doesn't isn't taking care of something for us. He's willing to die for our sins." You see, it's not a question about Jesus' willingness. It's not a question about his willingness to make us clean. The question is really about our willingness to yield to him. Are we willing to yield to him as we should? This man came to Jesus out of desperation due to an obvious need, the healing of this skin disease. You know, and he you know, but was he willing to yield to Jesus? You know, an obvious need of some sort or deliverance out of a tough situation can cause people to overlook their real need. The real need is the healing of their soul. And they can overlook the healing of their soul because they are so consumed with with the situation that they find themselves in. The healing of our soul involves our being willing to follow Jesus, our willingness to yield to him. 
Jesus responds to this guy. He responds verbally, you know, and, and he says, you know, I am willing to be made clean. But he goes even further by touching this man. Now, that's a real expression of willingness by Jesus to engage this man. Now, instead of, you know, according to the, to the Jewish law, by Jesus touching an unclean man, it would make Jesus unclean. But what you have happening here is instead of Jesus becoming unclean by touching this man, it says immediately this man was made clean. Jesus is not made unclean. This man instead is made clean. Now, it had had quite possibly, probably been years since this man was touched by anyone. No one was going to touch him. He was unclean. And Jesus was willing not only to engage this man, but to touch this man. Jesus was willing to do what others avoided. Others avoided this guy. Others avoided interacting with him verbally and certainly physically. But Jesus was willing to do that. He engaged the man that others were willing to engage. They avoided this man as too bad, too dangerous. He was stricken by God, so he's obviously too bad. He is, you know, he is too dangerous to be near. He is unclean and avoid him and stay away from him. This man was an outcast from society. He had no value in their society. Had no reason to interact with this guy. I was thinking about that and I thought, you know, if we're going to effectively engage people for Jesus, we need to change the way we value people. Too often we value our privacy more than engaging someone else. Or we value our agenda more than taking time to interact with someone, taking time to help someone. You know, where we value other people. And so we push some aside. If we're going to effectively engage people, we need to change the way we value people. Now, when Jesus told this man he was healed, he, he noticed he told him, he said, you are clean. You are ready to be involved in life again. This was a huge change for this man. Jesus tells him, go show yourself to the priest. And what Jesus had done for this man was to be a testimony to the priest. He says, go show yourself to the priest. Offer the sacrifices because this is to be a testimony to them. It's a testimony. You know, the one, the priest was the one who would examine him. Examine him to make sure that this, this was skin disease was, was taken care of, was cleared up. And it was to be a testimony to him about what God had done in his life. You see, a changed life is a testimony to others, you know, and to all those who are watching you. A life, a life that is lived consistently with the claim that you have, that you have a relationship with Christ. A life lived that is consistent with that claim of a commitment to Christ is a testimony to others. Now, Jesus tells the man, bring the offering that the law required, you know, for someone with a skin disease. This is, this was no small feat. Uh, first, they had to bring two birds, and there was a scarlet thread and a, and a few other things. They had to bring, the, but these two birds, when he first comes, the one is sacrificed, the one bird is sacrificed, and the second bird washed in the blood 
of the first bird. And then that second bird is released. Is set free. As a sign of, you know, of, the, of the cleansed person's new freedom. Well, then they, were, they also were supposed to shave off all their hair, wash their clothes, and stay outside the camp for seven more days. Now, they kept them outside the camp for seven more days just to make sure this wasn't a fluke and this wasn't just a good day of your skin disease and that later it comes back, you see. And so they had to stay outside for seven days. On the eighth day then, what they were to do, they were to shave again, removing all their hair, and it specified including their eyebrows. So we say removing, they're removing all their hair. They're to wash their clothes and they're to bathe again. And then they come before the priest and they offer a trespass offering, a sin offering, a burnt offering, and a grain offering. No small price. No small price. When you engage someone, help them make their response clear. Call them to obedience to God after they come to relationship with Christ. After they're cleansed. Too often we get this reversed. We ask them to change their life before they come to Christ. You better stop doing that. You better, you better quit that. If you want to get saved, you better quit that. You know, you better, you know that thing you're doing? You better quit that. We help them to come to know Jesus. Now, there's the picture there. You don't stop. You know, you, you can't, but it's after they have entered new life that you help them be willing to engage people, willing to continue engaging them and help them to live in obedience to all that Christ has commanded. We're making disciples. Perhaps you remember in Matthew 28, Jesus told us to engage people. He told us, you know, to teach them to obey everything. That he's told us. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. What's the first call there? Make, the only call really, make disciples. First, teach them about Jesus. Then the obedience. It's no good to make an obedient heathen. It is no good to make an obedient heathen still on his way to hell. That only makes you feel better. It does nothing for them. Help them to come to know Jesus. And you can help people come to know Jesus if you're willing. If you're willing to obey Jesus yourself and engage people, be willing to tell them about Jesus. Let's pray.